Salo for Lava, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up first, a new housing fund aims to help Pacific families achieve home ownership. target is to ensure that we're partnering with them so that the homes enable Pacific families to own. Also, Tonga upgrades its health facilities to combat non-communicable diseases. This is very good news because we have our people that need dialysis, they go overseas. And we tell them not to Mesipa Edwards, the artist behind an upcoming exhibition exploring the climate crisis. There's not enough platform for our community to have their voices heard in this, in this way. The New Zealand government has launched a new housing fund which will help more Pacific Ainga achieve the dream of home ownership. Call the Pacific Building Affordable Homes, the fund aims to help organisations, private developers, Māori iwi and NGOs build affordable housing for Pacific families. The Minister for Pacific Peoples, Alpita Williams-Seal, says the fund will establish better pathways to home ownership for Pacific communities. Alpito spoke with RNZ Pacific journalist Kuroi Hawkins. Well, this is part of an overall plan to increase Pacific families owning their own home. And so what we're announcing today is a new housing fund. And the goal of this housing fund is to ensure that Pacific Ainga, Pacific Wuvale, Pacific families, they can achieve the dream of home ownership. This Pacific Building Affordable Home Fund will help organisations, private developers, um, churches, NGOs, Māori, iwi organisations help build affordable housing for Pacific families and essentially uh, continue providing better pathways to home ownership within Pacific communities. So far, I mean, we started the project in terms of um, in Budget 2020 when we, we launched into ensuring that we're providing uh, financial literacy services right across the whole organisation. We've got 15 organisations specialising in budgeting and financial services and contracted them to support over a 1,000 Pacific people who have been involved in that programme. And our goal is to make sure that we have 3,000 people through the programme um, and more than 100 people moving into their new homes within 12 months of starting the service. So far... Uh, we've got 42 families who achieved home ownership goals. 10 families' homes have been saved from mortgage sales, and 32 have purchased new homes. So, this new funding will just help accelerate it because now we're going to be able to support organisations who know our communities, who can design uh, homes that are fit for purpose for our families. And the target is to ensure that we're partnering with them so that the homes enable Pacific families to own. Now, I'll come to the fit for purpose in a second, but um, how much money is involved here? And if you can give us like a specific example of how it would work in terms of the access Mm -hmm. and that translating Mm -hmm. to to, uh, better pathways for them to uh, home ownership. So this um, is 14.2 million. Um, and what this funding will do is it will provide up to 25% of cost for those that are building a minimum of five homes for Pacific Ainga. Give you an example. We've got um, projects um, out in in Hamilton. We've engaged and provided five million to provide a certain number of homes that, um, that are tagged for Pacific families, but it's part of the overall development project. 
Another example is in this year's budget um, in Porirua, we've got the Pacific Communities partnering with Ngati Toa to build 300 homes as part of Ngati Toa's housing development, but 300 homes specifically for Pacific peoples in a, over a 10-year period. And that project is going to be ex, in excess of $100 million over 10 years. So similarly, we're, we're looking to support developers, churches who've got land that they want to build houses in, um, iwi who, who want to partner with Pacific to build uh, houses for Pacifica as part of any development projects that they've got. Your, your biggest critics are, are saying that the delivery of labour on housing projects has not met what you've promised. Oh, look, I, I disagree. I think you've got to compare apples with apples. And so in the previous national government, um, they actually sold houses to, to a point where they created a housing crisis. Here, we've had um, to build more houses and in this particular uh, area, the, the Pacific area, I'm making sure that as the whole of government are building houses for those in the social sector, that my goal here is specifically to ensure that we're um, making path, positive pathways, creating positive pathways for our Pacific peoples to own their own home. And I have to say, when we came into government in 2017, Pacific home ownership was at 16%. But I know that back in the 1970s, Pacific home ownership was around in the 40% mark. At this present time, Pacific home ownership is at 21%. To me, what we're seeing is tangible evidence that we're moving in the right direction. But obviously, there's a lot more that needs to be done. Um, owning uh, an asset like a home is something that helps specific communities build up wealth over generations. Now, uh, turning to the, the fit for purpose, that aspect of it, can you explain a bit more what that means? Oh, look, I think when you've got to understand the context of our families, many of our Pacific families live in multi-generational households. Um, big families, and often our homes become the center for family gatherings, whether they be funerals, weddings, or birthdays. And so what, what, what the opportunity is for developers who are Pacific churches or iwi who know our communities well, they will be able to be supported when they come up with designs that are fit for purpose for those needs. It's not just a house for sleeping and eating. It is, it is a central focal point of our communities. The, these homes are important. It's also important to provide stability um, for families with young children. We, Our families are generally, whilst multi-generational, but we generally have a lot more children than other families. So locations of close to schools, close to parks, all of that will be taken in consideration, but the opportunity will be that we are providing them financial support to be innovative and to lead in that fit-for-purpose design of homes for Pacific families. Finally, what, when will this funding come online and when can people start applying for it? Uh, when online, when I sent out the statement um, and, and we're asking people that we've been working with who 
We've already got plans in the making but need financial support to now apply through MPP's website and it will be open till the 19th of, of October. Thank you so much, Minister, for your time. Thank you very much for your interest. All the best. Despite the threats posed by non-communicable diseases and other conditions, Donga, like much of the Pacific, has poor health facilities compared with Western nations. But with aid from Japan, a new telemedicine unit has now been set up at the main hospital in Nukualofa. Our Donga correspondent Kalafi Moala told Don Wiseman more about this new facility and another health development in Tonga. It consists totally of ICU units, intensive care units, something that is uh, very much needed in Tonga at the Viola Hospital. And it is a, uh, a completely uh, a new structure added to the hospital, costing $7.7 million, funded by JICA, which is the Japanese assistant. So it's a very good thing for Tonga, and this is just part of the equipping of the hospital, something that we've needed for some time. I understand even uh, this week that there has been agreement with some investors in the United States to even put a dialysis machine at the hospital. So, and again, this is very good news because we have our people that need dialysis. They go overseas. Uh, there's no service like that in Tonga. But now with the ICU telemedicine unit and uh, dialysis machine, uh, I think that puts us in uh, in par with uh, a lot of other more developed countries. Can you just explain to us how this telemedicine ICU works? Are they seeking advice from overseas? Is that how it goes? Yes, definitely. It enables them, like in this connection with uh, with Japan, it enables them to be able to link online and uh, somebody, for example, a, a doctor or a specialist in Tokyo is able to, to view what's going on with a patient here and get a, a report and they're able to give advice. And, and so there is a connection uh, by uh, telecommunication, like a, a, a Zoom the situation connected with uh, with overseas specialists. The hospital in uh, Nukolof would need to have more staff, though, wouldn't it? it? Would need to have more surgeons because presumably it would they'd be doing more work. Yes, and and definitely, Don, we're we're going through a situation right now quite unique to Tonga at this stage, where there is a shortage of uh, not only of doctors but of even of nurses. And for the very first time in our history, we're seeing uh, at uh, Viola Hospital the appearance of foreign nurses. Uh, we're, we're seeing a number of. Filipinos that are being hired into Tonga. Obviously, the number of Tongans that are trained in the area of medicine have gone overseas, maybe there are better opportunities there. But we are experiencing in Tonga a great shortage of medical workers. Looking at this dialysis machine, I would have thought a country like Tonga, with its very large numbers of people with diabetes, would have, a, yes. would have an array of dialysis machines. Yes, definitely. It's been it's something that it's been going now for uh, about 10 years when a group was formed in Tonga uh, trying to see if they can uh, get a dialysis machine. The government has been giving the, uh, you know, the excuse that they don't have the money. It's a very expensive. It's not only a matter of purchasing the machines. You've got to bring the workers to operate and maintain them and so on. Uh, but they've been working 
And obviously, uh, this group have had uh, people in the United States that have expressed interest, and they are uh, advancing the money or putting together the money to get a dialysis machine. As we are talking right now, there are quite a number of Tongans that are overseas, either in New Zealand, Australia, or in America, going through dialysis treatment uh, because there is no availability in Tonga. And so this is very, very good news for Tonga. Yes, one machine's not going to make a huge difference in a country with hundreds of people who need dialysis. No, Don, uh, we, we need more than one, definitely. It's like you see with these ICU units here, there there's seven of them, I understand. And it's, of course, not getting less. The, the, our diabetic situation is getting worse, according to reports from the Ministry of Health. So, yeah, just getting one machine is not going to solve the problem, but at least it's one step in the right direction. An upcoming exhibition featuring Pacific artists and youth will explore the devastating impacts the climate crisis has on the region, particularly the most vulnerable Pacific nations such as Kiribati, Tuvalu and Tokelau. Here to talk about the exhibition is Pacific artist Mesepa Edwards. Talofalava Mesepa, welcome to Pacific Waves. So tell us, what were some of the challenges that you noticed when it came to putting together an exhibition about the climate crisis? Yeah, well, <clears throat> for a start, um, the, the mandate itself, reducing carbon emission by 2030, it's a huge undertaking. Just that alone, just hearing it is a huge undertaking. To actually sit with our communities and walk them through what that means is a whole other challenge in itself. One, because, um, well, do people in our community actually fully understand the literacy, just even the word carbon? Just breaking it down, simplifying it, was even um, very challenging just doing that. People are put off um, the moment I start talking and using terminology that's unfamiliar to them. So the challenges that I faced, I guess, was actually looking past how am I going to engage community in understanding how to change behaviour if, first, they have no comprehension or a lack of understanding about what this actually really means. And and this, and this is really where the challenge is sitting. So... Um, it's really about understanding. Two, also, it's around the timing of um, presenting this to our community. We've just gone through three years of COVID, and families are just trying to get their lives back together um, to normal. People are just surviving. So they're struggling just to get back into a normal routine. And these are some of the, the barriers that we're facing. You know, given that the climate crisis affects the Pacific the most, do you feel that it's the responsibility of Pacific peoples to lessen their carbon footprint? Well, you know what? If if that was the case, in terms of the word responsibility of our people um, to reduce our carbon footprint, in all honesty, it is absolutely minimal. The majority of the impact... Um, of carbon emissions um, on a much more global scale um, is actually the result of larger corporations, industrialization, um, all of that. Um, the only reason why we are impacted 
by that and by with the sea levels rising is because of everything else that's happening globally. So, you know, to then say to our people that they now have to, um, you know, make pretty big decisions, behavioural changes to clean up this mess, it, it needs to be clarified a lot more. Things need to be, I think, our our communities are struggling enough, but to be made to feel responsible for something that's really huge, I don't think it's actually a really fair way to um, present it to our communities. Um, so I think um, it's a tough question. I think it's an ongoing conversation that needs to be had. And um, th to be honest, there's not enough platforms and there's not enough circles for our community to have their voices heard in this in this way. So I think that's where my that's what I, I feel about that. Absolutely. That yeah. yeah. Thanks for that, Mesipa. So with the upcoming Pacific Climate Justice exhibition, what do you think makes this different from other existing climate movements or platforms? Well, movements are things that um, have the intention of growing to bring awareness, raise awareness on an ongoing basis. The climate justice exhibition really has stemmed out of the the um, the role of the climate catalyst. Um, but in in saying that, the reason why the climate justice exhibition is important is because at the end of the day, it's really about allowing our, our community voices to be heard in um, at the table, especially in terms of the 10-year climate action plan. The 10-year climate action plan is actually geared towards us, for us, but to not have us at, on the table or our voices heard at the table would actually be um, not fair. <laughs> so um, what makes this different is that we have a one-time opportunity to um, gather our people as best as possible, and we're not going to reach everyone in the short period of time of this pilot program. Um, it's to actually do our very best and to have as many of our, especially our smaller cousins like Kiribati, Tuvalu, Tokelau. Um, it's to allow our most vulnerable cousins out there who are impacted the most um, for them to come forward and for the rest of us to be able to stand strong and present what that means for them, what it means for us. Um, and if people are upset about it, well, what does that look like? What does that sound like? What does that is, say it in a story? Express it in your art form, your expression. That's Pacific Ways for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. So far, so far, Manuel Levayasu.